Well, again, good morning and welcome to Grumlaw Online. Again, we are so thankful that you decided to carve out a little bit of time and, and spend it here with us. Uh, we know, obviously, that your time is valuable, and so you choosing to, again, uh, tune in here and make Grumlaw a part of your morning, we definitely don't take that for granted. also want to challenge all of you uh, to take the three-week challenge to give this at least uh, a couple of chances, because we think uh, it's going to really take at least a couple of weeks to get an accurate feel of what we're all about here at Grumlaw, and to be honest, I'm kind of irrationally confident uh, that if this is a place that you visit multiple times, it'll indeed be a place that you look forward to coming back to each week. Uh, if you are, again, joining us online, uh, I want to extend that invitation to join us in one of our in-person gatherings, either at Heartland or at Grand Blanc, every single Sunday at 10 a.m. We think it'll definitely be worth showing up in person. We definitely hope to meet you in person soon. Now, if you have not been tracking with us, uh, today we are actually wrapping up this series that we've been in now for three weeks titled The Art of Neighboring. And if you have missed either one of those first two weeks, uh, make sure you are catching yourself up at grumlaw.com slash messages, or uh, you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcast. Now, the premise of this whole series, if, if you are kind of just catching us here at the end of it, uh, the premise is pretty simple. Well, what would it look like if just the people who are watching right now, if just the people who call Grumlaw their church home took this command to love God and love people seriously? And specifically, to love our neighbors actually as much as we love ourselves. In fact, there's this story that we've been talking about and kind of breaking down each week. We really dissected it in part one, where Jesus kind of gets cornered by this really religious guy. And this guy asks Jesus, Jesus, what is the greatest command? Now, he's asking this from a Jewish context. Within the Jewish law, there were 613 commands. And he's going, Jesus, of those 613, are there some that are like more important than the others? That there's there's some commands that we should really work really hard to, to keep and, and make sure we're following well. And Jesus, not surprisingly, says, love God. But then he actually says a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, that's as important as loving God. So what if every single one of us was intentional in building relationships with our actual neighbors, like the people that literally live within 50 yards of us? Because here's the truth, and I'm going to actually throw people like me under the bus real quick, and if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, and, and this has ever rubbed you the wrong way, I'm telling you, you're right, it should rub you the wrong way. P people like me, pastors, pe people that do ministry for a living, we, we have a terrible habit of overcomplicating the words contained within the pages of this book that we call the Bible. See, if we believe that the Bible is literally God's word, which, which I do, by the way, maybe we should just start doing what it says. I, I know, it's a, it's a crazy thought. Years ago, I was actually listening to a podcast, and I wish I could give whoever said this credit because it, it is so spot on, but the host was speaking to the fact that, that those of us who grew up going to church, that those of us who have basically been Christians for our entire lives, we don't actually need any more information. We already have plenty of information about the Bible, about who Jesus is floating around in our heads. No, we just need to start doing what Jesus so clearly commands us to do. And then he went on to say, your obedience will never exceed your knowledge. If you grew up going to church, or really, if you've been at this church thing for really any amount of time at all, we would all do well to simply start living out what we've already been taught and what scripture so clearly commands of us. 
So, so again, just real quick, talking to the Jesus followers who are watching right now, we don't really need any more sermons. <laughs> we don't really need any more knowledge. We don't really need any more information. We just need to start doing. We just need to start being more obedient. And one of these commands that every Christian has heard preached on multiple times, several times, is this idea of love your neighbor as yourself. But what do Christians do in response to this? Or rather than just living out this, this command, we, we gather together and we start asking, well, who, who exactly is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? It's like, what? I have to think that this irritates God so much. It's like, seriously, that's how you're going to respond to this very simple imperative. Have a Bible study and a small group and a conversation with another Christian about exactly who your neighbor is. I think we're missing the point. And here we kind of arrive at this ding, ding, ding moment for this series. Let's spend less time analyzing who our neighbors are and instead let's just default to loving those who live in close proximity to us well, like our actual neighbors. And in turn, we'll end up actually showing people what Jesus looks like rather, rather than being a bunch of people who just gather together and talk about him. Fair enough. So, so today, as we wrap up the series, we're going to take a look at a situation that Jesus so often entered into. And, and wouldn't you know it, it stands in stark contrast to how religious people so often live their lives. One of the things, actually, that you can't help but notice as you read about the life of Jesus, and as I challenged all of you last week, I'm going to say it again, read about the life of Jesus yourself. Please don't be relying on, on just getting your weekly dose of Bible here on Sunday mornings. You can actually download an incredible app. It's called the Version Bible app. It is totally free, has devotionals in there, daily reading suggestions. Download that thing and just begin to read about the life of Jesus. You can read either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, one of those four biographical accounts of his life. And one of the things you'll notice as you read about Jesus's life is that he often entered, again, into some pretty messy situations. And as a result, he got himself involved in some pretty messed up lives, lives who religious people often try to avoid. We find one of these occasions in Luke's account of the life of Jesus. I mentioned this last week. Luke was a doctor. He didn't just believe things for the sake of belief. And so he actually dedicated the latter part of his life to thoroughly investigating the events surrounding the life of Jesus. And fortunately for all of us, he then recorded those for us in this document titled Luke. In this particular situation in the seventh chapter, Jesus, he's been invited over to a religious person's house for a meal. And almost immediately, things get, well, let's just kind of call it how it is. It gets kind of awkward. It gets a little weird. It even gets, I think it's just kind of strange. It says, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. So again, if you're sitting there, I'm guessing this is a little uncomfortable. This is a little awkward. And this certainly would have caught the attention of everybody else who was at this meal, who was at this banquet. Now, now a little context that might help us better understand what's going on here. We hear the word banquet here in 21st century America, and, and we think of more of a private setting, invited guests. Like, you can only show up to this thing if you got an invitation. But, but banquets back in this point in history, they were these more public events. They typically would occur outside where basically anyone and everyone could just stroll right on by. And it certainly wasn't unusual for a random person or two or three or a whole bunch to wander into these festivities. 
And the woman that happens to stop by here and begins to give such special attention to Jesus is labeled as an immoral woman, which was code for a prostitute. And everyone at this banquet, including Jesus, would have been well aware of how this woman made her money. Jesus knew this. And so when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, so this is an internal thought, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. So so enter the judgmental, prideful, religious person, appalled, just appalled that Jesus would even allow a prostitute near him. (laughs) Next verse, we're told, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Not not his out loud comment, not his question that he stated for everyone to hear, not not something he murmured underneath his breath. No, no, Jesus answered his thoughts. Again, Simon, this is the Pharisee. He, He never uttered that word. He never uttered that thought out loud. This is all internal. But here is Jesus about to answer his thoughts. I mean, it's like, can you even imagine? Can you imagine how intimidating it would have been hanging out around Jesus? That, I mean, even the slightest inappropriate thought enters into your head. I mean, it's like, I would think I would spend my entire day if I was hanging out with Jesus, just staring up into the sky, just trying to prevent myself from thinking anything inappropriate. It says, then Jesus told him this story in response again to his thought. (laughs) A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? He's posing this question to Simon, this religious guy, this Pharisee. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? So this is a pretty simple scenario. Well, let's say you have two friends and they both need some money, but you loan $500 to one friend and you loan $50 to another friend. But a couple weeks go by, months go by, and they both come to you on separate occasions. They're like, hey, sorry, I, I, can't, I can't repay you. I just don't have the money. Like, I, I'm not going to be able to pay you this money back. And you think to yourself, okay, I've had a pretty good year. And shoot, the government just kind of keeps direct depositing money right into my bank account. So what the heck? I, I, neither one of you actually, you don't need to pay me back. All is forgiven. And he says, who's going to be more grateful for this generous act? And Simon answers this question exactly how you would have answered this question. He says, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. Right. But this isn't a trick question. The one who got let off for the $500 is going to be a lot more grateful than the one that just got let off for $50. You don't need to be a CPA to figure that out. But, but Simon's no dummy. He, he's starting to piece together what Jesus is doing here. That, that he's about to point out that a woman like this, whose sins are many, is going to be much more appreciative for the forgiveness than the person who has hardly done any wrong. But, but this isn't actually the point of today's message. Check this out. That's right, Jesus said. That, that's the right answer. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. If you've ever read this story for yourself, you probably just ripped right by this part. But what Jesus does here is so significant. He looks right at Simon, his very religious host, and he asks him to consider who, who is sitting in front of him. He's asking Simon, do you see this woman? Simon, I I know you physically see her. I mean, you have eyes, but do you really like see her? Or do you just kind of see sin? Do do you just kind of see evil? 
You just kind of see something that represents the antithesis of what you think you represent. Do you see the child of God who kneels before me? A human being created in the very image of God. Simon, you don't know this yet, but, but, but a person that I believe is worthy of my life, just like you. Because Simon, I don't think you really see her. And he goes on, he says, when I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. This definitely wasn't the first time this woman had seen Jesus. Surely she had heard him teach before. She had watched him perform miracles before. She had observed how he showed love to those on the fringes so well. And upon hearing about this banquet, she knew this was her chance to get close to Jesus, to get close to the love that she had only previously observed from a distance. And now Jesus is looking at Simon going, she has done for me and beyond what every good host knows to do for their guests. Simon, eyes up, look at me. Do you even see this woman? that there is so much we can take away from this interaction between Jesus, Simon, and this woman. But for the sake of our conversation today, as we wrap up this series on neighboring and loving those in close proximity to us well, the question I want to ask of you this morning is the same question that Jesus was asking Simon to consider. Do you even see what is going on around you? But, but even more importantly, and I think the question that Jesus was getting at, and the question we've kind of been prodding at throughout this series, is do you even see who is around you? Are you even aware of who is within 100 yards, 50 yards, 20 yards, 10 feet away from your front door? And again, like Simon, I know you see them. I know that you know that you have neighbors. You probably, like Simon, you even have probably some strong opinions and strong observations about them. Well, that over there, that's the neighbor with the noisy dogs. And that over there, that's the neighbor who smokes cigarettes. What an idiot. That's the neighbor who has the spiritual gift of yelling. That's the neighbor who has a yard full of, uh, of stuff. But that's the neighbor who's the biggest grump on the planet and apparently is allergic to the sun. Like Simon, you know what you have heard. You know what you have even observed from a nice, safe distance. But do you really see those people around you? It was several months ago uh, that a neighbor, it's kind of across the street and down a couple houses, um, she, uh, she came down with COVID. It's an older couple that lives at this house and she came down with COVID and we kind of heard it through the grapevine through some of the other neighbors. And I, in that moment, I was like, that's sad. And I'm like, we should probably pray for, you know, and it's like, that was kind of the end of it. But the next day after we had heard about this, my wife, she's at home with our three kids, a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and about a year and a half old. And she decides to actually take this a step further, not just pray for this woman, which was important, but she, with our three young kids decides to bake a batch of cookies. And then with our three children, she, she walked across the street and knocked on the door and decided to actually have a conversation with this man whom she had never actually spoken to before. And she said, hey, me and my kids, we just wanted to bake you some cookies, let you know that we're praying for you, uh, praying for your wife. And, 
If, if there's anything that you guys need, seriously, do not hesitate to reach out. I'll stop by again in a couple days just to check in and, and, and make sure. And, and she said that this, this grown man in front of her just kind of like melted. See, my wife, and she, she's so much better at this than me, but really that's not even true. She's just more obedient than I am. My, my, my wife opened up her eyes and saw who God had placed in front of us. Then, rather than just talking about it and studying it and overanalyzing it, she just did something. That through a simple act, she showed our literal neighbors what Jesus looks like. Like Simon, when we attach a particular label to a person, when we attach a label to a neighbor, and this is so important, don't miss this, it allows us to detach the humanity from that person. And then all we see is that one thing that we have labeled them as in our heads. Simon looked at that woman and he saw nothing but sinner, prostitute. When you label that neighbor as the inconsiderate dog barker, when you label that neighbor as the smoker, when you label that neighbor as the yeller, in turn, you have not so subtly removed, not necessarily consciously, but you have removed their humanity. You've removed the fact that that person is a child of God, an image bearer to the Almighty, someone God himself saw fit to die for. Someone God has strategically placed in your life and has gifted you with the opportunity to show them what Jesus is actually like. Last week, we talked about the fact that the, the biggest barrier, the biggest obstacle that so often stands in the way of us engaging with our literal neighbors is, is time. But, but I believe a close second, if not sort of like a, a 1B, would be fear. Because of what the media and our society is constantly ramming down our throats, constantly delivering to us that worst case scenario, what, what this does is, is it causes us to think the worst in the unknown. It causes us to think the worst in just society as a whole, and yes, certainly even to those who live in close proximity to us. Rather than assuming the best in others, we almost exclusively assume the worst, which, mind you, is precisely the opposite of what Christ has done for every single one of us. It's exactly the opposite of what Jesus did with this woman at the banquet. Unless you think this was just kind of some one-off occasion, again, look no further than what he did on the cross for every single one of us. Remember this, he died for us while we were still sinners in the midst of our rebellion, in our inability to get our acts together. We do in large part because of the peddling of fear all around us. We fear the unknown. And if you're a Jesus follower, Jesus is nudging you and even at times commanding you to push past that fear and wade into the mess. And when you do this, I think you'll find what I and, and so many others have found, that, that, that when you start pushing past that fear, you, you figure out that fear was nothing but a facade. So something you or maybe even society had built up in your mind but is not actually grounded in reality. It, it was last summer, 
um, that, that my wife and I, along with all three of our kids, um, we had walked across the street where there's a lake and uh, the, the neighbor across the street has always been gracious and allowed us to just kind of use his beach and use his dock and all that good stuff. And I've shared about this before. We have this, this, this canoe, which is like my favorite possession on the planet where uh, we, we lugged the canoe across the street and then uh, we were going to go for like a little family boat ride. Yes, me in the back, my wife in the front, and then kind of all three kids kind of crammed somewhere in the middle and we're getting ready to, to kind of push off the shore and uh, a neighbor from two houses further down, the guy that I had never met before, he comes over. He's like, you guys going for a little boat ride? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're jumping into the boat. And he's like, hey, uh, you can see over here, I, I have a pontoon. Um, it's a little bit bigger than that. He's like, no offense to your boat or anything, but, but if you ever want to just take my boat out and you know, take your family out here, it's like, it's all you. You don't even have to ask. You can just come over. The key's always in it. You like, feel free to, to take it whenever you want. And I got to be honest, this kind of floored me because this guy, to my knowledge, I didn't remember even ever meeting him. He certainly didn't know of my capabilities to drive or not drive a boat. But here he was walking over and just saying, hey, you have access to what is mine whenever you want. I've thought about that. And in preparation for this talk, like what fears did he have to push past? Right, that fear of starting a conversation with a new person, that, that fear of at least I got to think, like, okay, does this guy even know how to drive a boat or not? Like, it's kind of ironic, right? Like, the non-Christian neighbor being more of a neighbor to the pastor than the other way around. As we talked about last week, are, are you living at a pace that's interruptible so you can even see those divine moments? Like my wife saw with a hurt neighbor who to that point, again, had never spoken a word to us. We had never spoken a word to him. But, but once you see those opportunities sitting right in front of you, and, and here's the question I want to leave us with today, and I've already alluded to it, will you push past the fear and wade into the mess? And, and please hear me on this. I don't say that with any sort of judgmental tone that your neighbor's lives are a mess and yours is, of course, squeaky clean because we all know that ain't the case. But, but, but come on, people, all of us, we're messy. In, in fact, actually, just wherever you're joining us, Right now, just go ahead and say that to yourself. I'm messy. Jesus knew he would be judged and looked down upon for engaging with this prostitute, for having a conversation with her, for allowing her to do what she was doing to him. But he pushed past those fears and he waded into her messy life anyway. God looked down into the broken, sin-filled world that we had all screwed up and he had a decision to make. Does, does he walk away and allow us to slowly destroy ourselves by our own sin, or does he wade into the mess? And fortunately for all of us, God waded in. And, and you know what Jesus found that day with this woman and what God knew when he waded in by sending us his one and his only son? It's, it's worth it. <laughs> because... You are worth it. God gave us his son knowing that the vast majority of us would still end up turning our backs to him and reject him. Because even if it would have been just you, he still would have died for you. And in a very similar way, even though every interaction with your neighbors isn't going to be perfect, even though they're all not going to end up being your best friends, it's, it's, it's worth it. Because you have no idea how God wants to use you. You have no idea 
that even in those moments where it feels like a total failure and the conversation went completely sideways, how God is going to use that supposed failure for something so much more down the road. Remember me as a kid, I don't know if you did this, but you, know, you have dominoes, right? And you can set up a bunch of dominoes in a row, right? You set them up all over the place and you just tap that first one. You watch them kind of like all spiral out of control and eventually they all fall over. See, you might not be that final piece to kind of push that person over the edge, but if you take just one of those dominoes out of the equation, right? It, it, it stops, right? It, it just, it discontinues. It doesn't continue knocking them all over. So, so it doesn't mean... Even if it doesn't seem like a victory in the moment, it doesn't mean that your interaction, your obedience, your small gesture, your step wasn't valuable or that God isn't using it or that it was somehow a waste of time. You have no idea where you fall in that order of dominoes in that person's life. It was recently that um, there's a certain neighbor who lives in my street. He's just like the walker. He's constantly walking everywhere. And uh, if I'm honest, he kind of comes across as a little bit of a grumpy guy. And uh, so I've been pretty reluctant to engage him in conversation. But again, due in large part to this book that we've been recommending you pick up with the same title, The Art of Neighboring, uh, I felt convicted. I'm like, all right, I got to at least try to have some conversations with this guy. And I'll be honest, most of the time when I try to engage him in conversation, it's like it's met with pretty short responses. And I kind of get the hint. I'm like, okay, I don't really think he wants to talk to me. But slowly but surely, those those conversations have kind of expanded. And eventually, uh, it was actually a couple of weeks ago, I had walked again across the street to go spend some time on the beach with uh, my older two children. And, and wouldn't you know it, this neighbor was down there with with his grandchild. And so it allowed me this opportunity to actually talk a little bit more because my kids are, you know, kind of playing with the grandkid. And it was like, okay, maybe this is finally the moment we're really going to have a conversation. And we did that day. And it uh, got to the point where I'm looking at my phone and I'm like, okay, it's time for us to go back across the street because I need to start making dinner. And I said, all right, guys, come on, we got to go back home. Daddy's, daddy's got to start making dinner. And, and my kids, of course, are like, no, we don't want to leave. We don't want to leave. And, and this neighbor looks at me. And he says, hey, I'll watch your kids for a little bit longer, and then I'll, I'll walk them home when, when I'm going to go home. And I'm like, are, are you serious? And Are you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't mind. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll watch your kids, and then you know, I'll, I'll walk them home when I'm done. And I kind of walked away like, I cannot believe that that neighbor just offered to watch my kids. And sure enough, like clockwork, about an hour later, here he came walking right up to our front door with our two kids and just kind of blew my mind. For, for those of you who grew up in church, I, I know you want this story to end with him coming to the front door and I led him to Christ. That, that, that's not happened to this point. And to be frank, I'm not burdened, nor are any of you, with leading every single one of your neighbors to Christ. I'm simply called to love my neighbor as myself to be obedient to the opportunities Christ drops in my lap, regardless of if I see them as a victory or not. Because I trust that God is working in ways that are far beyond my understanding. I mean, after all, we're talking about the God who holds the whole world in his hands. Here's the truth, church. I'm not perfect at this. You're probably not perfect at this. I don't have this all figured out. And I certainly don't know how it's going to turn out with every one of my neighbors. But every single day, I'm trying to be more intentional. I'm trying to be more available to those opportunities that God keeps dropping into my lap. I'm pushing past my fears just like all of you. Every day I'm trying to live out that oh-so-simple-but-yet-profound command, love my neighbor as myself. And again, that starts with my literal neighbors. 
Once upon a time, this captured the attention of and changed the world, and I'm absolutely believing that it will again. Now, before we let you out of here today, before we wrap this thing up, we, we actually just want to practice this right now. We, we want to give you the opportunity right now to just pray for your neighbor. So, so please don't tune this thing off right now. Don't click away and say, okay, the, the service over. It's not over. Will you just take some time right now? We're, we're literally going to put a one-minute timer on the screen right now. Will you take one minute and just pray for one, maybe several of your neighbors right now and watch how God honors that prayer. Watch how God presents opportunities literally this week, maybe even today, to have real conversation with and, and love those neighbors well. So you got one minute. Let, let's take this minute and pray for our neighbors. Father, we, um, we do. We thank you for these people that you have strategically placed in our lives. Uh, I, I will say sorry for uh, all of the opportunities that, that I have uh, I've squandered over the course of my life where you have given me such clear opportunities to love my neighbors well, even at times share you with them. And uh, I've shrunk back in fear or I've been too busy or I've just, you know, been in my own head and I just miss it. And I, I thank you that you're a God of second chances, that keeps and continues to drop those opportunities in our lap, even when I screw up the last one, or it feels like I screwed up the last one. God, I pray that we would uh, truly be a church that is marked um, by how well we love the people around us. That, that even people who are never going to walk through the doors at Grumlaw, they're like, yeah, but I like those people. Those people that go to that church, they just seem to be some of the, the, the kindest, most compassionate, loving people I know. And that way, we we would just show you to our to our neighborhoods, to our communities, so well. God, I pray as as I do every week that we would be a church that is marked by our doing, not just our listening, not just our hearing, not just feeling convicted. That we would be a church that goes out and we're obedient when you nudge. We're obedient when you prompt. Give us the eyes to see those people again who have you just placed directly in our paths. We love you so much, Jesus. In your name, we pray. Amen.